May I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. What world are you living in? Have you ever just wanted to blurt out that question to someone? Say when someone is just blind to those around them? Say when you are watching the news, maybe as you watched the news this past week, what world are you living in? I wanted to say it yesterday. I was in line at Donnellan's, and the lady in front of me was on her cell phone talking pretty loud. And even worse, she was laughing loudly, like really loud. Ma'am, we don't laugh in public, not at a grocery store. It's COVID. What world are you living in? I think the transfiguration is that moment for Peter when he and James and John have to reckon with the world they are living in. It's a familiar story. We tell it every year, the Sunday before Ash Wednesday. Jesus leads his disciples, these three disciples, up the mountain, Mount Tabor, where he's joined by the Old Testament prophets Moses and Elijah. Their conversation is interrupted by his transfiguration, where the text says that his clothes became dazzling white, shining like the sun. And then a cloud descends over the mountaintop, and from the cloud they hear the voice of God. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And the text says the disciples were terrified, unsure of this strange new world. And rightfully so. Can you, can you imagine? These three fishermen would have been much more comfortable out on the open waters, but not here, exposed on the mountaintop. Maybe this was their first hike up Mount Tabor. Maybe their feet were blistered. Maybe they didn't pack enough water. Details are lean. But we know they saw Jesus transfigured before them. And he shone like the sun. Our men's group this past week was discussing what the word transfigure means and how it might be different from the word transform. The Greek word in this text is uh, metamorpho, related to our word metamorphosis. And it could be translated as either transfigure or transform. Our men's group noted how transform is a more familiar concept for us, easier to use in a sentence. In many ways, transform or transformation has become one of these trendy self-help words. Just about every section of the bookstore will offer you some new pathway to transformation. Transformational leadership, transforming your diet, transforming your attitude or your marriage. 
Transfigure is different, though. The Anglican mystic Maggie Ross highlights the difference when she writes, Transform is a very misleading word in Christianity, as it means changing one thing into another. What happens, rather, and in this context she's talking about prayer, what happens, rather, is that God takes us exactly as we are and transfigures us into glory. To be transfigured is to remain oneself and to be perceived in a higher and spiritual light. The archetypal example from scripture is Moses in the burning bush. Remember, the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. A leaf, stick, and branch, a fire with glory, and yet still itself. This strikes me as really important for the way we think about our spiritual lives and what it means to grow in Christ. You see, I think part of us would prefer it to be the mounts of transformation instead. I think we live in a transformer world. Transform feels epic and important and full of thrill and change. Think the movie franchise, The Transformers. To be transformed is to become a totally new person. And I wonder if we don't secretly buy into that wish that we could transform into a bigger and healthier and more ambitious version of ourselves, our Optimus Prime self. Does God want to transform us? Not like that. I should say that I think part of the fatigue and even depression that we're feeling at the moment is depression around transformation. So little seems new. So little feels capable of being made new. We're caught on the carousel of sameness. And friends, that's why it's good to be on the Mount of Transfiguration this morning. Standing with Peter, James, and John, we notice that Jesus doesn't change his form. Light pours through him and out of him. God takes Jesus, human Jesus, carpenter Jesus, rabbi Jesus, and draws Jesus' humanity into his glory. And what I want to suggest this morning is that we are meant to be transfigured, not transformed. God doesn't want to change us. God wants us to see our lives and our world as soaked through with his glory. This isn't a God we are wholly accustomed to. We expect a God who looks at us and sees, well, kind of a mixed bag. I mean, God definitely sees the good stuff, we hope, our church attendance this morning, for one, our little kindnesses towards friends and family, our modest stabs at patience. But there's other stuff, too. I think we also worry that God sees some not-so-good stuff, some stuff God would 
rather us change our quick temper, our sloth, our irritability, our borderline addictions to alcohol or food or Amazon or worry or weight. And we think God must want to change us. I don't think that was the takeaway on Mount Tabor that afternoon for Peter and James and John. Sure, they encountered the blinding holiness of God. Sure, they endured the terrible majesty of the Most High. But let's be clear, out of the fierce light shone back the human face of Jesus, their friend. I don't think the disciples were terrified because they felt tiny and guilty in the presence of the transfigured Christ. I think they felt terrified because they were seen, and more startling still, they were loved in their humanity, in their bodies, in their blistered feet, in their fatigue. And Peter just, he can't help it but to blabber on. We shouldn't fault him. He's just been soaked through with the glory of God. And this is the gospel that Paul can't help but preach in today's epistle. He sees Christ's transfiguration happening at the depths of our hearts. The veil on our hearts is removed and we behold the light shining in the darkness. For that is the point of the transfiguration, a light in the darkness. As one poet put it, when the day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new day blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. The disciples must have prayed to have been brave enough to see it. We know that Jesus is coming down from this holy mountain and he will enter Jerusalem, and the next mountain he climbs will be to his cross. And there, there won't be dazzling clothes on that hill. His tunic will have been gambled over. And there won't be Elijah and Moses at hand, but two enemies of the state, one on his right and one on his left. And there won't be the consoling voice of the Father. The Father will be absent. But on that mountain is where Christ draws in the darkness of the world and transfigures our suffering in his light. The transfiguration lets us perceive the light in all things, even suffering. So how can we be brave enough to see this light, brave enough to be the transfiguring light of Christ? I should say that transfiguration is grace. We can't enact it for ourselves. We can't press the button and voila. We can't make the holy light shine on our own personal Mount Tabers. We stand in need of God. God to intervene and step in our moment and step into our days and in our hearts. In one sense, we can't make this happen 
But in a very real sense, when Christ's face shone in the Father's glory, we weren't witnessing some celestial special effects. We were seeing the truth of our world, what time and space is really meant to be. This is the holy vision and revelation of the saints. When the veil is removed and the transfiguration is perceived. You may remember Thomas Merton's famous revelation. Merton was out running errands in Louisville one ordinary March day when the scales fell from his eyes and he saw the world transfigured. In Louisville, he writes, in Louisville at the corner of Fourth and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we should not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I had the immense joy of being a human being, a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate. As if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me, now I realize what we all are. And if only everyone could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around, shining like the sun. How do we step into this transfigured world? How does this become the world in which we live? Friends, it is the world in which we live. And allow me to offer just a few ways that we might perceive this world. This Lent, I'm encouraging us as a parish to read the Gospel of John together. I've broken it up into short, manageable readings for each day. It's John's Gospel that tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. And reading Scripture is one of the time-honored ways for Christians to encounter this transfiguring light. There are other simple practices. Here's one. Imagine the light of Christ flowing through you. Quite literally, imagine this. Light flowing straight from your heart. Paul says, For it is God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So imagine it. Imagine a light flowing out from your heart and warming and blessing the world around you. Hold that image. That is who you are. And then let it bless your vision as you look out onto the world, as you look at, others, at other faces. Only hindsight allows the question, 
But what if the lady laughing on her phone was, well, really meant to shine like the sun? What if Merton's vision was really meant for us? In the Lincoln Donnellans, in the checkout line, standing by the grapes and the palm juice, I saw it. I woke from the dream of separateness. I wanted to laugh out loud. What world are you living in? May we be bold enough to say this week, God's world, the only world there is, loved and healed, transfigured in the light of Christ. Amen.